And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Welcome to Seeing Red. Hey, boys and girls, welcome to Scene Red. I'm David K. Montoya. And tonight, for your entertainment, I am Terry D. Shearer. That's right, Terry D. Shearer is back with us. Um, if you don't know what's going on, well, yesterday we did uh, a conversation in sheer darkness, and I wanted to bring that conversation over a little bit and, and talk about certain bits and pieces uh, here on Scene Red. One of the things was we were talking about trying to find a place to belong. And I think a lot of it in my life, a lot of things I've done in my life, has been an attempt to belong. Um, again, if you haven't listened to uh, Sure Darkness, I think it was 36, it was yesterday, um, Go ahead and turn this off, jump over to Sheer Darkness and listen to it to catch up on what we're talking about. Um, <clears throat> one of the things, again, you know, the belonging thing, I, I think spans to, for me, I can, I can remember when I was in eighth grade, we we're finishing up eighth grade, and uh, people from the ROTC, Air Force ROTC, came and and tried to recruit me, which was funny because at the time, you know, I, I've always had long hair for the most part of my life. And, you know, to look at me, I don't think I would would have been a, a visually acceptable candidate for ROTC, but they came to me. And, and I remember one of the things is they said, you can belong to something, you know, greater or some shit like that. And, and I remember the idea of belonging just kind of, that's what turned me on to it. I actually did three years of it. You did what? I did three years of ROTC. Did you? Yes. Um, <clears throat> That's hard to believe. Yeah? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, and during that time, even at that, I didn't feel like I, I belonged. Because there was people there that, you know, well, not people, they were kids that were there. They, you know, their their families were active military members and they were planning to be, you know, lifers essentially. And I was there just to find a place where I fit in. And and even in that three years I just couldn't even find my, my place in that. And I wish, I really wish when I was that age, and I, I think you might agree, is I wish there was like the internet, you know, when I was that <laughs> age. Because 
you know, I think it would have been more, well, it, it's definitely more accessible to find a place to fit in now than back then. Would you agree? Well, I, yeah, I guess. Fuck, when I was a kid, I, uh, I didn't even have, uh, video games or cell phones or phones for that matter. I mean, there was a long time when I was a kid, we didn't even have a phone. Uh, there was nothing. There was no way when I was growing up. I mean, all you had were, were your neighbors. The right. people you knew in your neighborhood and the people you knew from school. And if you didn't fit in with that small little group of people, then you were just SOL, you know. And uh, <clears throat> for a long time, I, I, I wanted to fit in somewhere, too. I wanted to have a group, you know, quote-unquote, that I could belong to or be with or whatever. And eventually, I just decided that that was pointless because there was no one I knew of like me. Right. And I just quit trying to fit in and just sort of stayed in the shadows, basically. I, you know, go to all the, you know, the things I was supposed to do and that my mother forced me to do. And, uh, but I, I never really had much fun. I never really enjoyed what I was being forced to do. I just did it because that was what a dutiful son did. And, uh, it wasn't until, hmm, actually, no, I, I don't think I ever fit in anywhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> there was one time where well let me back up you definitely fit into my world so you uh, do fit in okay no. um, but during Thank the time you. of let's see I think I was a freshman in high school um, and of course it had to, I had to have come up with the name it was uh my cousin, who I had mentioned to you off air, you know, the one that's a little, like a month older than me, we grew up together. And my other cousin, who was kind of the intro to comics, he's the one that kind of showed me the comics for the first time, his name was Michael. And then my brother Randy, so there was the four of us. So, can you guess what our group name was? The there was four. Comic book boys? No. Uh, the four the four comic musketeers, plus the four Dan Dingus Johns. I don't know. We were the oh horsemen. the X Men. No, we were the horsemen. The horsemen, the four horsemen. And uh, damn, never would have thought of that. <laughs> and that was actually the only time, and and that was and it lasted maybe a year or so because there was only one connecting piece to everybody. No, no, it was me. Everybody got along. Oh, I see. <laughs> Everybody got along with me, uh, but they didn't get along with each other. Exactly. Oh. But that was the only time. Hmm. Um, I wouldn't get into comics. Let's see. I got into comic books in 1990, and well, it's seen red, so I can tell the story. Um, I don't know if I've ever told you this story. Growing up, I actually never read. I, I 
I didn't know how to read that well. In fact, when I got in, when I was a freshman in high school, I had a below a great a third grade reading level. I just didn't have a comprehension. Wow. And S.M. Morton, who is my aunt, uh, for my 13th birthday, she gave me a stack of comic books. I've always been interested in comic books ever since Michael, my the cousin. Um, you know, he showed me he, he used to have tons of X-Men comics. And I always looked at the pictures. And and being a loner, in my mind, I was able to fill in the stories with my own stories from the pictures. So that's kind of how it worked for me. But um, eventually I got into wanting to know what the story was so bad, I started reading. And one of the best things my mom ever did for me, truthfully, is I'd go and ask her, what's this word, what's this word, what's this word? And then one day she came in and she just plopped a big-ass dictionary. I still have it in the garage. And she's like, look it up. So that's what I did. And every time I came, over, came across the word I couldn't figure out, I'd look it up, I'd highlight it, you know, and, and move on. Hmm. And then at that time, as I was starting to learn how to read better, um, I was in a, uh, what's... I'm trying to think. It was like a below... Remedial? Remedial reading. And um, I had another writing project. And I just wrote a, a little story. And her name was Miss Kennedy, the teacher. And she goes, you have a talent. I'm like, oh, you know. And <clears throat> she's like, well, you like this kind of stuff. And I was like, yeah, I, I like, you know, when I'm, obviously I, if I write it, I like it. And she's the one who turned me on to uh, reading. And, of course, they were very, you know, I remember, like, the Hardy Boys kind of reading stuff. Well, I read the Hardy Boys as, as a kid, yeah. And from there, I, I started developing my love for reading. And, of course, at the point where I got into so heavily into comic books, I was like, I could do better than this. And so that's what I did. Is I actually the first story, the, ex, the first story for a comic book I ever wrote was an X Men comic story, and it was simply to to fulfill my own need to tell, you know, to to be entertained. Right. And that's that's kind of where it took off. It's not from there. I did the same thing. I mean, when I was younger, I was reading all the time. Well, I was reading all the time. And it got to the point where I couldn't find any more stories that I wanted to read. So I started writing my own stories. And uh, I don't know, it's it's almost, it, well, it isn't almost, it is. It's like self-gratification in a way, you know. It's just... Well, <laughs> yeah, since no one else was reading the stuff I wrote, I, I guess it would be self-gratification, you know, writing for one's own pleasure, anyway. And then uh, it was S.M. Morton who, who put the bug in my head. Like, hey, why don't you submit this to Marvel or DC? And I still have all those rejection letters, too. And, uh, you know, I, I did that. Mine, yeah. I did that for like a year or so, and I finally got just so fed up with it. I was like, I'm going to make my own goddamn book. And she's like, why not? And that's how it all started. There you go. Um, it's, I don't know, it, it's, 
I wish I knew more writers when I was growing up because, and now I'm going to say this and it's going to sound harsh, but it's just the truth. I knew a lot of people that thought they were writers, but they weren't writers. You know, they, they, they talked a good game, but when it came down to it, they just didn't have that ability to, to tell a, a story. I didn't know any writers. I mean, I mean, I knew the writer, the authors of the books I read. Right, right. But I, I didn't personally know anybody who wrote. I never even. I mean, I just thought writers were people who lived off in the clouds somewhere, you know, in some right. mystical place, and uh, I, you know, it just never occurred to me that I would, I would actually know someone who could write a story. I never did when I was growing up. You know, it's um, it was funny too because I remember being in high school and telling people I'm a writer. Like, what you're a what? You know, and and instantly, and I don't know if it was just the 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 stereotype, I guess is the best word for it, you know, instantly, even though I'm, I'm six foot two and, and I, I was really in shape because I was an RTC and, uh, you know, I did, I mean, yes, I wore glasses, I've always worn glasses, but as soon as I said I was a writer, that instantly put me as a classification as a nerd. And that's, that's not what I, I mean, I, nerds to me and of course, we didn't have that that kind of vocabulary when I was growing up. But you know, nerds are just guys that uh, you know wore pocket protectors and were into computers and shit algebra like that. and geometry. You know, math <laughs> math geeks and shit like right. that. But I mean, we didn't we didn't have that kind of terminology when I was a kid. You were either you were either in or you were just fucking out. You know, and I was always out. Well, and that was the thing, too, is, like, you know, they called me a nerd, but I was, like, I was on the fucking wrestling team, you know? <clears throat> Unfortunately, I had to make a choice between wrestling and, and ROTC, and uh, I picked ROTC. Um, and here's a, a bit of info you probably don't know about me. I don't know, I might have told you over the last ten years. I did a thing called... We called it just uh, junior pro wrestling, but it would later become backyard wrestling before it became cool, and people thought I was weird for doing that, too. And now, you know, now that it's actually on fucking TV. Yeah. I mean, we weren't getting slammed through tables and jumping off roofs at the time, but, you know, we were still taking the bumps, because that's what I actually thought I was going to be before I realized I was a writer. Well, I was gonna be a professional. I was gonna be the next Hulk Hogan, brother. Yeah. Well. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> you should see his face, folks. I well, I wrestled in high school too. Oh, did you? I, yeah, I didn't know that. Well, so doesn't mean it didn't happen. I wrestled, but uh, there wasn't something I wanted to do as a career or anything. You know. Well, I moved up in weight class, and that was kind of one of the reasons why I decided to go with ROTC, is because I was from 
from the where was I? I was I was in the one one sixty to one seventy five weight class. But then when you went into when you went up to like one seventy six and up, that was light heavyweight. And I went into like one eighty, I was getting closer to the two hundred mark. Well, I I was one eighty six. And that was the cutoff for heavyweights. One eighty five and below was light. I weighed in at one eighty six and I got stuck wrestling the biggest fucking <laughs> assholes in the school. You and know. that's what happened to me. Ah, uh, gee, yeah, but I'm only five ten. <laughs> <clears throat> but anyway. I, I I learned a lot of good shit, you know, like, you know, never stop moving and, you know, shit like that. But uh yeah, it's not something I would want to do. <laughs> so that's interesting that's another thing we have in common and that was kind of a, a, a point that we started on sheer darkness is that not only are you my best friend but it, it's interesting as we've gone through the years we've learned that we have so much in common uh, just yeah. personal life history we have in common yeah I know it's sad isn't it? <laughs> But well, that's 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 what happens. Yeah, I guess like attracts like or something. But but uh, it's it's an odd note that I'm you know twice your age, and yet we still manage to have so many things in our life be similar. It is. I, I've really never. And see, the thing is, is I've never, I've just considered you as a friend. I've, I've never even thought about the age difference between you and I. Yeah. Well, it's because I'm so young and good looking. <laughs> even though I just had another birthday recently and it put me over the edge again. But anyway, yeah, I know. I don't, I don't consider myself, um, that old. I, I still consider myself, like I said before, I, I've never matured. I'm still, you know, just a kid at heart and a, you know, a kid in my brain. Basically, I still have the same uh, immature thoughts that I had in high school. You know, yes. <laughs> I still write the same kind of stories that I would have written in high school. Speaking of immature thoughts, now well, there's a new thing on Netflix. Um, my sister Rebecca and I, we share a Netflix account. And you can make your own profile now for each individual person. And I made a, a Netflix profile for myself. And I was putting it together. And, of course, they ask you, you know, your movie preferences. And then once you get to movie preference, they give you the select title that they, they go. So, and fuck, it seemed like it was never-ending questions. I think I spent like two hours just answering those questions. I was like, when is this going to stop? And by the time I finished, they gave me a selection of American Beauty. Now, I've never seen this movie. So I was like, okay, let me, let me go watch it. So I end up watching it. And before I, I get started, you kind of warned me that it was going to be odd and, and, and how, how you thought it was kind of odd that they selected that for me. Yeah, I still can't imagine that happening, but. Because I'm I'm the type of person, and then I even said this, you know, 
I figured I was going to get, you know, the X-Men or Iron Man or somebody, you know, something superhero comic bookish. That's just me. But no, I get this very, very artsy, dark, twisted. It took me, okay, the movie was like two hours long, a little over two hours long. And, and I, the first half an hour of the movie took me probably about, maybe over an hour to watch because I kept stopping and going and had a cigarette and did my thing, came back, sat down, watched. And the, that was just so, it was so hard to just keep grasp of what was going on. And it, it started getting better, but then I'd say the last 30 to 20 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes of the movie is when it really started getting good. And then it ended. And I'm like, what the fuck? And now here, here's some spoilers, folks. If you've not seen American Beauty, it's with Kevin Spacey. And it is worth a, a watch. You know, uh, it, it, you can get it on Netflix. You have to go and order the, the disc, or you can kind of surf around and, and find it in other streaming areas, if you know what I mean. But, okay, here's the spoilers. Now, it opens up. Kevin Spacey is, uh, What's his name? Lloyd, I believe. And I don't remember it anymore. He's he's in his forties, and he's a writer. So at first, I was like, okay, writer, I, I can kind of see connection, you know. Um, and he has he's been married to the same woman for twenty some odd years, and he has a daughter. But they completely disrespect him, and he you can tell that he just their disrespect to him has caused him to disrespect himself he has no respect for himself and it it takes the point where he goes to his daughter's cheerleading practice to see this one blonde girl and i guess the best way to to explain the situation was it was like instant lust you know it wasn't it wasn't love or anything he just wanted a fucker and that was the 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 turning point for him to say, well, okay, well, when he found out that the the chick that he was, like, drooling over was his daughter's friend, that was kind of even a better point for him. So that led him into, he first, he started working out, you know, to, to buff uh, himself up. Yeah, buff yeah. himself, be more attractive to the girl. <clears throat> Not to mention that she's, like, a high schooler. yeah. They never said, but I figure what, probably like 17, I'm thinking, maybe. Yeah, tops. Um, and so as he's doing this, he's finding self-confidence. He's finding out who he used to be, and this is just my interpretation. I could be completely wrong, but, you know, the way I was looking at it is as he was digging into himself to try to find him, I think he found his old self, and because of the the routine of being normal being a father husband provider that became forefront to who he really was and and as he was digging into himself to find this he found out who he was like pre-marriage you know this is this was the dude which led him into uh he started smoking weed and which cracked me up because they're looking through these different you know types of weeds and he's and this his dealer, which is interesting enough, the his daughter's boyfriend, 
said, well, this is the really good shit. And you could tell it was, it was probably about an ounce. And um, he's like, how much? And he's like, two grand. Now, mind you, this movie came out in 1999. And I was thinking, well, ounce? an ounce. Grand. Yeah. I was like, well, if that was two grand in 1999, imagine what it is now in 2013. You buy an ounce of this super weed or go buy yourself a brand new car, you know. So in the process of that, um, he's working for this magazine. And the magazine editor-in-chief or, you know, he's an executive for sure. Um, he's like, I'm making everybody tell me what's the, the best points about your job. Now, at this point, Kevin Spacey is like, you know, I just, I, you know, fuck you, fuck, you know, everybody. And, and that's pretty much what he wrote in his letter, you know, from the letter. Yeah, that part of it I walked in on and heard, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and the guy was like, well, you must not want your job. And, you know, Kevin Spacey is like, pretty much fuck you. I don't care anymore. And he's like, well, you can get your stuff and leave, you know, today. And Kevin Spacey's, he asked the boss, he's like, well, what kind of severance pay am I getting? And the boss is like, you're not getting no severance pay. And he goes, oh, because I think the the information I know about you fucking the boss's wife might, you know, get me 60 grand for the next two years in severance pay. And the, even even then, the guy was like, no, 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 there's no severance pay. And he goes, well, how about if I throw uh, uh, a sexual harassment suit on top of it? <clears throat> and the boss goes, well, who's sexually harassing you? And Kevin Smith, ha- or Kevin Smith, Kevin Spacey has this this kind of wicked grin on his face and goes, you did. And he's like, who's going to debate, and, you know, you saying, well, if, if you come over here and suck my dick, I'll save your job. And he's walking out of the office now, Kevin Spacey. He's got a big old smile on his face. And he's, and he's like, yes. So obviously he got what he wanted. And this is turning into a, a, an American Beauty review. Oh, well. Uh, well. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. And um, so he, he ends up leaving... The, the magazine as a writer, he ends up working like at McDonald's or some shit like that. He just, he right. wanted to find the, the less, the least job that had the least responsibility. And that's what he found. And then he finds out, you know, that his, his wife is having an affair on him. And, oh, gosh. And uh, even at, at that, he's like, eh, you know, he could really care less. And what this, what everything that's happening to this movie, to the character, is for him to finally make his way to the blonde, you know, because he's having these sexual fantasies about the blonde. Well, at the end of the movie, he he's finally there. He's he's literally starting the midst of of you know having sex with this blonde. They're getting to that point, and then she all of a sudden says. This is my first time. Now, throughout the entire movie, as she's being, you know, popped in, um, she talks about how she's been with all these different guys and whatnot. But then at, at the moment of, of truth, as, as it were, you find out that she was a virgin. And that, I guess, that killed it for him. Really? Yeah. And he's like, okay. How odd. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, just to let the listeners know, I, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen, but, uh, I have my daughter, she woke up and it doesn't look like she's going to go back to sleep anytime soon. So we're just going to try to keep going forward and, and as she talks, I'll try to talk louder. So. Okay. So anyway, so he, he gets to the point of finally having an opportunity to be with this, this girl. He decides not to. And he just gets up and, and makes her a dinner or whatever. I don't know. They really didn't specify. And he, he ends up getting killed. Now that's what troubled me the most. Not even so much that he's, he turned down, you know, the chick that he's been daydreaming about. But, the fact that... He, I don't remember who killed him. <clears throat> okay. I'm glad you brought that up because I actually skipped that part on accident. The boyfriend's father, the Marine, okay, um, he had a, a big qualm against the gay couple. And what, what, what? Okay. What gay couple? What Marine? Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Um, one of the, the character, well, the two characters that are introduced early on in the movie is Scott Bakula, you know, the guy from yeah. Quantum Leap. Him and another guy, they're, they're next door neighbors to Kevin Spacey, but they're, they're a gay couple. And Kevin Spacey, when he's getting to that point of starting to work out again, he goes running with the gay couple every morning. Sure. So the, the girlfriend's or let's see, Kevin Spacey's daughter's boyfriend. Okay. His of, uh, the dealer. Yes. Okay. His father was a marine. In fact, anytime he he would introduce himself by name, and then, you know, I, I can't remember his name, but then he'd go, you know, USMC. You know, it was like, yeah, you know how it is. So. He has a, an issue with the, the gay couple of being in, in the neighborhood. And he assumes that because Kevin Spacey is going jogging with the gay couple, Kevin Spacey is bisexual. Well, at some point in the movie, well, it's actually later on in the movie, very close to the end, the father is drunk. And he goes up to... Uh, his son's room, and he's going through all these different videotapes that his son has made. And his son is kind of like a voyeur. You know, he, he sees a peeping Tom with a camera. And there's a, a picture or a, a video of Kevin Spacey that the, the son had taken. Kevin Spacey's in his, in his garage, but he's buck-ass naked, but he's working out. So instantly, that's what he thought, you know, he thought, oh my god, my son's, you know, gay. So, he's looking, you know, he just happened to look out the garage, and again, the son is Kevin Spacey's dealer, you know, his weed dealer. And that's what was happening. He was actually giving Kevin Spacey more weed. But the way he was looking through the window, it looked like the boy was giving Kevin Spacey head. And when the boy got back to his house, the father confronted him. And the father said, well, 
you know, if if you're gay, you're you're gonna get the fuck out of my house. I'll never see you again. And the son seeing an opportunity to finally get away from his father said, "Yeah, I get good head. I get two thousand dollars per head. You should see me in bed too. I, I fuck like a champ or some shit like that." So the father beats him around and he takes off. Well, at this point now, the father is thinking Kevin Spacey is definitely bisexual. So he walks from the house and he's walking up to the, the Kevin Spacey's garage. And it's pouring ass rain. So Kevin Spacey's sitting there smoking his weed and he's working out. And he, he sees the, the father. He's just standing in front of the garage because he had those the the windows on the garage door that you know just it's all lined up right and he's just standing there with this weird look he's wet and so he opens the the garage and he's like get in here man you're you're soaking wet and the father makes a pass at Kevin Spacey and actually tries to give him a kiss and and Kevin or Kevin Smith Kevin Spacey is like whoa 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 you know I'm I'm not into that type of thing. So, the the father runs off, embarrassed, because he, he assumed incorrectly. And the father is the one who kills Kevin Spacey at the end, because he doesn't want nobody knowing that he made a pass at a game. Right. Guy. And... Yeah, I remember that part now. I was really... I was disappointed with the ending. And I told you that this morning. Right. I was like, you know, fine. I, I get, you know, the point that he was in the 40s and she was 17. But the whole point of the movie was him working up, changing who he was to who he, he became for this girl. And, and, and for me, I, I was seeing the age irrelevant, you know. And I think that he should have hooked up with the girl, whether it be a one-night stand or or whatever it was, this was his motivation. Like you said, in Sure Darkness, when you were a little boy and you were playing and you were like, what's my motivation? Well, that was his motivation. That was the whole purpose of his, his being in the movie. And it, it just kind of just fizzled out. I mean, and... I, I don't understand it. <clears throat> Because, you know, he, I mean, he stopped because she was a virgin. Right. And I don't know whether that means he, deep down inside, he still has some sort of moral values or something. But after all the, the time and effort he put into working up to this, I, I just, I don't understand that aspect of it at all. But yeah, and that's that's the whole point is is that I don't know. I, I mean, if I was writing the movie, he would have done her. He he would have he just would have because okay, the wife is cheating on him, so there's the 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 wife factor is pretty much out the window. You know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander type thing. So I, I don't know. I mean, and and the way it came across to me is that he didn't want to take her virginity. Right. He, he felt. <laughs> I know, I know. So, she was always making her little point in the movie. <laughs> yep, yep, it's okay. 
<laughs> so, um, you know, after seeing the movie, you have an option of I've given it one to five stars, and and I gave it a three. And I I did like it. I didn't love it. You know, I didn't really like it, but I didn't hate it either. So, I gave it a three, and um, wonder why Netflix thinks I'm a a weird goon that. <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a that's a really weird one for them to shove on you the first time. Yes. I mean not no horror, no science fiction, no fantasy. No. No uh superhero stuff. <clears throat> and now a word from our sponsors. Before nineteen seventy one, a young S. Sadie Burbank could only imagine a simple American life as a loving wife and mother. That was her goal when she first married in 1959 at the age of 18. But with the wild social revolution of the 1960s, Burbank's idea of a perfect life would quickly change as she left behind her family to begin a new existence of her own. Her journey would find her on a plane headed toward her new lover, Steve, who was halfway across the world, waiting her arrival in a small bush camp in the country of Liberia. Once there, Sadie is greeted with a fascinating, strange world and plunges herself into the exotic land of the bush. But less than six months later, Sadie would realize all was not as it seemed, and Steve was not the man she fell in love with. Burbank found herself desperately seeking escape from the camp and her lover as she raced back to Robertsfield Airport, literally running for her life. Based on an unbelievably true story by S. Sadie Burbank, Red Hills, Green Vines, and Dried Monkey Meat for Dinner is a manuscript of Burbank's adventurous and deadly experience during a time filled with sex, drugs, and murder. Now available in paperback and hardback. For more information, log into www.redhills.us. Looking for a new book, comic, or apparel from your favorite MythWorks or independent creators? Then you're in the right place. Introducing the all-new redesigned MythMart store. Now bigger, badder, better. Sign up and become a member and receive 10 to 50% off on selected items. Get the all-new Terry D. Shearer's Bloody Hell t-shirt, or non-members can pick up one of our e-books for only $4.95. Or go into the past and relive the 90s with MythWorks Comics Classics for $3.99. The new MythMart. Bigger, badder, better. Visit MythMart at www.mythworks.com slash MythMart. Or find us on Facebook for extra savings. you own a business or have an item you want to sling? Do you want a chance to reach potential customers? Do you want to make some extra cash? Then here's your chance. For $50, you can have a one to two minute commercial featured on each of our shows for an entire month. With six shows a week, that's only $2.09 per podcast. Plus, for an extra 10 bucks, your item will be placed into MythMart. So sit back and relax as they handle all stages of transactions. Contact our ad department at info at jaysamon.com.
Speaking of superhero stuff, you've been getting into the superhero. I, I don't know if I'm rubbing off on you and, and bringing that part of you back into it. Well, but... no, I, I, I discovered... I, I mean, when I was younger, I, I used to like to watch The Tick, the animated version. Right. Back in the 90s. It was just a funny fucking show. And when I discovered on Netflix that there was an actual live-action show from 2001 with Patrick Warbutton playing the the tech I started watching it and it was it was a, a, a it was a funny show if you like that kind of, of humor and I thought they the uh, they did it really well because even the background and everything had a comic book feel to it yes and uh, you know I always liked the tick so I just got a bug up my ass recently, and I started checking out eBay for some of the old tick uh, figures and comics and stuff, and uh, it's run its course quickly. But I, I did, I did pick up some some shit, yeah, because I enjoy the tick. Now you got the tick one through six, right? I don't have them yet, but yeah, I purchased I mean, them. yeah, you, you got them. Yeah, plus a couple of action figures, yeah. And then you got um, the the snot tick, or mucus tick was the first one you got. Yeah. And then what other action figures did you get? Well, just the hick, what they call the hurling tick, where he's supposed to be throwing a stop sign. You know? Oh, okay. Uh, you know, they have five or six other characters from the from the cartoon, which I haven't uh, gone after yet. Don't know if I will. Well, it's it's cool because you've brought that back up to me, you know, when I I sat and I watched all nine episodes of the live action, and I even went and I was starting to watch some old, uh, you know, animated cartoons. And I noticed that it's... from the cartoon to the to the live action, it's actually kind of toned down. I mean, it's still very funny, but I mean, the edginess, you know, is is more apparent in the live action. And I don't know if it's because of it being live action. Well, yeah, I think or, that uh, as an animated feature, it was probably geared more toward children or younger people, right? Whereas the live action was geared more toward adults, right? So they would have a little bit more. Uh, dialogue and stuff that they wouldn't have on the animated series. Although I did notice that um, Arthur, you know, on the animated series was a kind of a little pudgy guy. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't look like a crime fighter at all, whereas at least in the live action series he had uh, a shape to him, a little more manly shape, I guess. Yeah. I don't remember, in the comic book, I don't remember if he was pudgy in the comic book or not. Yeah. Oh, was he? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> they probably... I, 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 I haven't seen the first issue yet, so I don't know exactly how it was they met, you know, and, and, and what he looked like originally, but like, I'll find out. But I think it's really cool that you're, you know, collecting comics. Even if it is just for a short time. Well, I've I've done it before. 
you know, in the past, when I had my bookstore in Tulare, there were a couple of, uh, guys that, uh, I met because they had a comic book store across the street. Right. And I got into comics with them again because they had some, or when thought they had a lot. And, uh, I would go over there and pick up comics periodically. And then eventually when their store went out of business, uh, they gave me a whole bunch of comics. And I think it's safe to say, kids, is, uh, I, I think I'm a comic collector again. Not to traditional comics. And I was actually talking to Terry about this. Uh, earlier this week, or it was last week, you know, I, I do miss, it was this week, I think, you know, I, I miss holding the book in my hand, you know, I, and if, if you're not a, a collector of books, whether it be, you know, paperbacks, hardbacks, or even comic books, the older books, the paper has this smell to it, the musk, and it's, yeah. it's, that's part of the collecting, is that smell, I love that smell. I always take an old book and I'll open it up to the middle and just sniff that smell. Yeah, it's weird because uh, at different different time periods they use different types of paper. Right. Like during the war, uh, WW2, they were using really really cheap paper because they needed so much paper for the war effort, and uh, that paper is totally different from books that were made in the, the 20s and 30s or even older than that. Right. It has a different smell and it, it, it's so thin and fragile that the paper actually breaks. Oh. Yeah. When you uh, try to turn the page sometimes, the paper will actually crack and break off. So, it's, it's, yeah, it's just one of those things, you know, if you're a collector, you you have that kind of interest. Yes. And I do. I miss that. Um, I've been purchasing the, I, I've been following the X-Men. I got into the X-Men again, um, just because I know the, the backstory. I think that's what keeps drawing me back to the X-Men is I know a lot about it, you know, the history, but I've been collecting the comics. I've been catching up, um, on the, the digital comics and I've been reading them. And for the most part, I, I like it. You know, there's a, a big crossover going on right now. You know, the, which I was actually telling Lacey about, my wife, and I was all into. <laughs> I know, yeah, I know. I was all into, you know, telling her the story, and Terry came out, and, and what, what exactly did you say? Do you remember? Well, I was just, I was standing there listening to you tell her all about this really cool shit, and she's looking up at you and, and got this little smile on her face. <laughs> And I and I said when you were finished, I said, "Isn't it nice how she'll sit there and act interested while you're telling her to something like that?" <laughs> and the whole time she's thinking about, "Let's see, do I have to cook something for dinner tonight? Do I have to take it out of the freezer first? You know, like she doesn't give a shit. Uh, but she sat there and listened to you, which was pretty nice. You know, that was okay. Believe it or not, I, I think she's happy that I'm collecting again. Really. Yes, because... Gives you something to do? Yeah, well, something... To occupy your time so that you're not annoying her with stories about shit? Well, it's it's more so of not being productive. You know, you're not productive when you're reading. You just, it's, it's, you know, it's very 
relaxing and and you know most of the shit that I do is productive work. Even though you know, depends on who you talk to. Or what does that have to do with collecting though? Well collecting means I'm I'm collecting comics, I'm reading again and you know, I'm I'm spending my time other than writing or podcasting or you know Yeah, but doesn't reading inspire you to write again? Oh, Jesus Christ, it does. Well, then there you go. How does that help you? you the That's dog funny. is attacking me here. <laughs> Stop it, Cody. Relax. <clears throat> I think, other than myself, I think Cody's had the most podcasts. Really? He, he's in a lot of the podcasts, especially the earlier podcasts. Oh. Um, but yeah, because in fact, I was telling you this today. Is and I kind of it's it's kind of a nostalgic feeling because I kind of feel the way I felt when I first started writing comic books. Is yes, they're good stories, but now now I know definitely I could do better. I could tell a better story than what's being produced right now. Um, you want me to push pause? And no, that's okay. okay. Cody's getting uh, really rambunctious. Uh, okay. Because I, I like to read. And comic books before, you know, and I, I actually did, uh, uh, I was in high school at the time, and I did an, uh, some type of report. And I literally went through a comic book, and I wrote down every bit of narration and dialogue by hand from beginning to end, and it came out to one page of comic book narration dialogue was actually one page of handwritten, you know, same thing. So you were literally getting 22 pages. Well, back then it was like 24, if not more. Um, you know, you were actually reading a whole page of something. Right. You know, now you read so... Well, it depends. There's this writer who's writing a lot of the X-Men. His name's Brian Michael Bendis. And for some reason, he thinks onomatopoeias is dialogue. And that drives me up the wall. Onomatopoeias? Mm-hmm. What is that? Boom, bang, ow, up, go. Oh, oh, oh. You know, sound effects. Oh, I see. And uh, that's, that's the majority of, of his writing. And it drives me nuts. But the, the general... This general story is what's keeping me going. So, I'm enjoying that. And I, I, I can say I'm back into to comic books. And it's got me reading that plus watching the, the Tick live action and, and watching some Tick uh, cartoons has actually kind of really got my juices going to working on a story that Alan Russo and I started back in 2000. Yeah. And, um... I, uh... I... This is, uh... Just a postscript kind of thing, but yeah. I almost finished with that story. Oh, are you? Yeah. I want to read it. I really yeah. do. We're talking about... Comics. <clears throat> um... So, and if that's got me itching to, and I'm not saying, oh, I'm going back to writing comic books, you know, and I'm, I'm no, it's, if I do, I don't see myself 
because number one, I don't know the market like I used to. Because now the market's primarily dominated by e-comics, and I don't really know enough as a publisher to try to publish an e-comic. So I, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't do that. But that urge to write is there. Well, that's cool. You can always write them. Oh, yeah, definitely. And uh, worry about what you do with them later. <clears throat> because, I don't know. I, I just, like I said, I've been feeling really, um, I don't know. I, it it kind of reminded me why not only do I, I love comics, but why I love to write. You know, it's just that. I think I've kind of forgotten over the years why why I was writing in the first place, but I think all this combined in the last week or so has really reminded me why I love to write and to be creative and to be imaginative because it's just really fucking fun. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. <clears throat> so, all right, kids. We've uh, we've attempted to to you know carry on a conversation with the kid running around. You got the dog flapping his ears trying to eat uh, Terry, and just I survived everything. Where, where are the drop bears, though? Yes, come <laughs> come. Well, not back, not here next week. But let uh, next Thursday, sheer darkness. Uh, and let's find out what the drop bears are, because I'm really curious to find out myself. Some, some people out there already know, but, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that next week. So, just to let you guys know what's going on, um, so next week, also for Scene Red, I'm going to try to get the wife to sit down and talk to me for an hour. Um, she's been podcasting for almost two months now, so I think she can sit down and and do one show with her husband. Um, but for her, you know, we'll probably, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I was thinking about talking about shit that would really embarrass her. Yeah, that'll get her talking. <laughs> but then after that, kids, um, we're going back to the original game. Uh, Rebecca and Aaron are coming back, not next week. But the week after that, they'll be back, and we're going to get back into the original format of the show. And uh, just for you freaky fucks out there, I do have some bestiality news I've been saving for this occasion. So, all right, kids, that's it for this week. I am David K. Montoya. And... For just sitting in on it as Terry D. Sure saying goodnight. And if you're not into pretty much anything we just talked about, then you're seeing red. Okay. Good night, folks. Good night.
don't say we didn't warn you.